opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Good day, everyone, and welcome again to another edition of Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the beautiful Sun Splash Studios today of WWDB AM860 here in Philadelphia, and we're streaming live on WWDBAM.com, and you can reach us at Boomer Generation Radio uh, at gmail.com, and like the uh, Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page if you so choose. We're going to be right back with our first guest, Mordechai Liebling, talking about some social justice issues and Boomer involvement in the great environmental debate. We'll do that right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. Hi, welcome back again to Boomer Generation Radio. This morning we are welcoming uh, Rabbi Mordechai Liebling, the Director of Social Justice Organizing Programs at the Reconstructionist Rabbinic College, uh, just over there, across the river and up the street, uh, here in suburban Philadelphia. Mordechai, welcome to Boomer Generation Radio. Good Thank morning, you. Richie. Nice to be here. Nice to see you again. Um, so you have this environmental program that you're working on, and one of your concerns is you wrote to me here uh, in preparation that you don't want Philadelphia to become, quote, Houston on the Delaware, a frightening thought, having just been in Houston. Um, unpack that for me, Mordechai. What, is, what does that mean? Well, that's not my phrase. There's a gentleman in town by the name of Phil Rinaldi, who is the CEO of a company called Philadelphia Energy Solutions, rather known as PES, which are the folks who took over the old Sunoco refinery oh, and are redoing it. My neighborhood. Um, and his vision is that he used the phrase that he would like to see Philadelphia become Houston on the Delaware. What that means is bringing more refineries into Philadelphia, some plastics factories, and to uh, a place where we could uh, unload and offload more oil. So uh, just to make sure that the air is... um (laughs) It's clean. Um, well, just you're joking. So, according to the e- latest EPA report, PES is responsible for 68 percent of the uh, industrial poisons put into the air in Philadelphia. So, one company, 68 percent of the industrial poisons put in the air in Philadelphia, and he wants to grow it. And your role, your job, your your passion uh, is dealing with. Translating this concern about the environment specifically or in large part to our generation, baby boom generation, which we are now being told through research and articles, um, is returning in many ways to the good old days of the 60s and 70s and and trying to recapture a sense of social justice programming. So why the environment, why the environmental issue? The environmental issue is the moral issue of our time, and it is the issue which touches on all areas. It is 
a, an issue of justice that one of the things that we have learned about is that um, environmental justice has to do with how uh, people Poorer people and people of color are disproportionately affected by environmental disasters. So the greatest predictor of whether you live next to a Superfund site, a site that's been Mm -hmm. polluted, is your race. So that people of color in this country end up living next to the most polluted parts because they have less political power, less economic clout. So when a company decides to put in some polluting facility somewhere – They put it in poor neighborhoods. Um, If we look at this internationally, we look at the global warming, who is affected most by global warming? Poorer poorer countries. And within those countries, it's the poorest of the poor who get affected. When we look at our country, what happened with uh, Hurricane Katrina, who got hurt the most? People of color and poorer people. We know that any time there is an environmental disaster, that it's the people who are the poorest who have the least power in the society get hurt the most but it, but it's to be clear, it's not just a racial thing. It's not just a racial thing at all. It has to do. It's again. It's, it's economic. It's economic. It's both economic and racial. You know, they're 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 both important issues. They they are separable. It is true that if you are black, you are more likely to live next to a Superfund site. But if you are a poor person, you're also likely to live next to a Superfund site. But people of color are disproportionately hurt by this, even among people who are economic disadvantaged. So Philadelphia, let's let's just talk about because we can go across the country. There was just a report I just saw again um, about Appalachia and the coal mining industry, yeah. and which is another horror story right. of literally people being killed right. uh, from generations. So your concern right now is to mobilize people um specifically uh, baby boomers uh who who will have recaptured this idea of giving something we want to give something back to society right. uh you you talk about in some of the mailing we've had back and forth prior to the show uh, the this myth of separateness and independence right. around and what does that mean right well america is uh, has become the country in where uh, making it alone, succeeding alone, independence is the most one of the most valued cultural traits. It's the whole idea of the rugged individual right. is going to go out there. Frederick and, Jackson Turner, the right. frontier thesis. The whole we all, thing. We all got taught that in tenth grade. That's right. So I think we did, um, and it's not true. And we all got, we also were taught about, uh, what became social Darwinism that, you know, that the race goes to the swiftest, that's the competition, the you know, survival of the fittest, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what we have learned through all of the sciences now, biology, physics, chemistry, that the entire world is interdependent. No one thing survives on its own. What became known as uh, what first started being known was uh, cybernetics in the uh, mid uh, so 1960s, 1970s, and eventually has become called systems theory. You know, we understand that no one phenomena it can exist by itself. Everything is dependent on something else. So that uh, 
even with it, we we used to look and study atomic physics and look at we that we would understand how the universe works by studying the smallest particles. What we've come to understand is that we have to see how all of them interact with each other, and it's the interaction of the whole by which we learn things, not by looking and breaking down that into the smallest pieces. Every the existence of everything is dependent and related to the existence of everything else. Nothing can be taken off by itself. Not a person, not a country, and not even uh, a molecule. Right. The interdependence. I remember a professor of mine at the seminary, Dr. Rifkin, all of a blessed memory, a brilliant, brilliant guy, was teaching us this in 1967 in class, that nothing happens in a vacuum. Right. And that the world, and it's the Tom Friedman, uh, the world is flat book, right. where everything is really interconnected. But talk to me about the, how you, in your work, deal with the fact that this environmental issue still is a major political football, and we still have deniers. We still have people who are running around, some of whom may be running for office as we speak. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a, a very sad tale, which is the most illustrative tale of money in politics. Because the way, why, are, why is there one political party that is denying climate, climate change when in 170 countries, every 170 countries around the globe, all countries believe and understand that climate change change is happening, yet one political party in the most powerful country in the world is denying it. Why is that the case? Well, you happen to have these super wealthy brothers called the Koch brothers, who this year are going to be putting close to a billion dollars into the political process. They are completely committed to denying climate change. If you happen to be a Republican member of the House, a Republican member of the Senate, and you don't sign their pledge to uh, around climate change, that you're going to deny climate change, then they guarantee you that they will put an opponent in, in, the, in the local primary against you. So if you are a Republican member of the House and you want to say, I want to act on climate change, you will be guaranteed Guaranteed to face a challenger in the primary who is incredibly well financed by the Koch brothers. Therefore, you will probably lose. So the entire Republican Party is essentially being held hostage by the Koch brothers around climate change because the Koch brothers happen to own huge oil interests. So, Pretty simple. Well, it's the I guess it's the old not was the military industrial complex when we were kids. I guess it's the whatever different type of conglomerate complex that still operates and that's there's no that's no secret by any stretch of the imagination there um, used to be a, a, it used to be a a paradigm that said the Republican Party was divided between the oil interests in the South and Southwest and the industrial interests in the Northeast. And what's happened is that the oil interests have taken over. Well, look, we're we're sitting in Philadelphia. Let's let's be honest. We, and, and it's March the ninth, something like that. March, March the eighth. It's March. It's March the eighth because my son-in-law's birthday. And it's going to be this week 70 and 78 degrees. 78 degrees tomorrow, record highs. So um, something's going on, and 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 the, the the sea levels, and if you've been to Alaska, you, you've you've seen the the glaciers melting right. literally. Um, what Mordechai? What's stopping if the common person sees this and understands this? 
Uh, is it just the political process that's stopping this, or is there still some other thing that's going on in it's, people's it, psyche? It is the political process that's stopping this. It's really clear. I mean, uh, scientists' total consensus about climate change. The, the engineers know what to do. It's not like the solutions aren't there. Solutions about renewable energy exist. Options exist. And the, it's the political process that's stopping it. Case in point, right now, uh, the PRPA, the Philadelphia, Pennsylvania Regional Port Authority, has just put out to bid uh, six parcels. There are they put there are two parcels of land in the port. They've just entertained six proposals for developing those two parcels of, of land. The way the uh, one or two of those proposals have to do with uh, fossil fuels. The rest have to do with uh, containers. If we build uh, container uh, facilities, we will produce approximately 2,000 jobs. If we, if we build something related to fossil fuels, it's less than 100 jobs. If an oil tanker pulls up, there are zero jobs for a longshoreman. Uh, if it's a fossil fuel terminal, if an oil, ta- if a freighter pulls up to unload container cargo every time their freighter pulls up, it's 80 jobs. But the way the PRPA has set up its process for judging bids about what to put in there, whether it's going to be a container thing or a fossil fuel thing, the person in charge of it just happens to the, in, on, on the state level, uh, Mr. Sweet, just happens to be the person who set up the deal to sell the Sunoco refinery to PES. Now, isn't that interesting? <laughs> We're speaking with uh, Mordecai Liebling, a rabbi, the director of social justice organizing at the Reconstructionist Rabbinic College, talking about issues of the environment and climate change and how our generation, the baby boomers, are going to be involved in reshaping this discussion. And we'll be back with Mordecai right after this message from our friends over at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall. Founded on Quaker principles, Kendall provides independent living, assisted living, memory support, skilled nursing, and rehabilitation care for older adults in eight states. Whether you're looking for the intellectual and cultural stimulation of a college town or a big city, Kendall has a community for you. We are together transforming the experience of aging. To learn more, visit Kendall.org or call toll-free 888-759-0128. When we've had our, sometimes I've got Welcome back to Boomer Generation. Right, we're just talking here with Mordechai and our guest for the second half hour, uh, Michael Lyons. So uh, we're with Rabbi Mordechai Liebling, the director of social justice organizing programs at the Reconstructionist Rabbinic College, on the issue of environmental, environmental safety, climate change, and um, how we're going to get baby boomers involved. The program, Mordechai, that you're running. Uh, that that speaks to this underlying cause of justice that you've you've articulated that the climate change issue is a major social justice issue. How are we involving baby boomers in this? What what's the what are some of the programs, direct action programs that you're involved with? And as a follow up, um, 
if somebody wants to have knowledge of how to get involved, how do they do that? Right. So in Philadelphia right now, they, we have a coalition of uh, environmental organizations, and that coalition is called Green Justice Philly. And you can go to our website, greenjusticephilly.org. Uh, organizations like uh, the Clean Air Council, Action United, Food and Water Watch, uh, Interfaith, Power and Light, Delaware River Keeper Network are the mainstays of that coalition. But at this point, there are 25 uh, organizations in Philadelphia, including uh, 350.org uh, and others that are involved in this coalition to try to to do things. One is to prevent Philadelphia from becoming Delaware, uh, Houston on the Delaware or fossil fuel hydra. The other thing we're trying to do is promote Philadelphia as a city, uh, a green city, a city of renewable energy, and we are working on a series of policy proposals to bring to the Kenny administration to get the city green. So the main positive area we're working on is looking at the whole area of procurement. The city right now spends uh, 60 mil- its energy bill is about $60 million a year. So if we can get some of the city's energy bill towards uh, renewable energy, that will help uh, the renewable ener- the growth of the renewable energies in the city. And we're trying to get some of that renewable energy locally sourced. So we're, we're doing, on the positive end, we're moving towards Philadelphia becoming a green, renewable city, having the city adopt a variety of policies to, to bring that about. And on the other end of the spectrum, we want to stop those folks who want to create uh, Philadelphia into a fossil fuel hydra. Okay, so how do I get involved with this? I know you have the website, greenjusticephilly.org, one word. You go one, to one. greenjusticephilly.org on, on the website, or if you are somebody involved in the faith community, you can look up uh, Pennsylvania Interfaith Power and Light, which is an which Interfaith Power and Light is a national organization in about 35 states right now, but each state has its own chapter. In Pennsylvania, we have Pennsylvania Interfaith Power and Light. We have our own Philadelphia chapter here in the greater Philadelphia area. Uh, that's another way to get involved. Tomorrow afternoon at uh, six o'clock, at uh, four o'clock. To- no, six o'clock to six o'clock tomorrow evening at the uh, Sheet Metal Workers Union Hall uh, down uh, downtown. There is going to be a hearing of the Philadelphia Regional Port Authority about uh, the, their bids, and we are going to show up there in force to show them that people are watching, that this is transparent, and that they have to take environmental considerations and and j- good jobs into consideration as they award the next contract stand there. So anybody who wants to join us at the Sheet Metal Workers Hall tomorrow evening at 6 o'clock, that's Wednesday, March 9th, is a great way to sort of walk in and get involved immediately. So uh, let's suppose we have somebody who's really turned on to this issue, and, and they'll go to the website. Can you give me one or two action projects, I mean, other than going to a meeting or, or a demonstration, what else well, on people direct can, action can I do? People can get involved in our policy committee, which is, uh, you know, for people who are serious policy wonks and who really enjoy getting into the weeds in that. We have a policy committee that's working out the details of how the city could develop a procurement process to guarantee renewables. Other folks who, st- who like uh, playing at the computer and doing research, we have a whole research team that's right now researching the dirty dozen of Philadelphia who are the top dozen uh, sort of uh, 
corporate uh, corporate leaders and uh, uh, political leaders who are involved in polluting the city. So you can help us investigate uh, the the dirty dozen. Um, and we have there, you can get involved with Physicians for Social Responsibility, which is one of our uh, coalition members. That's really looking at all the health effects of uh, the fossil fuel industry. Philadelphia right now has, I believe, one in four children has asthma, and that's directly related to the dirty air in the city. So there's a whole health component you can get involved with. You don't have to be a doctor to get involved with uh, Physicians for Social Responsibility, PSR here, that looking, looking at all of the health impacts of it. Talk to me about wind and solar. What's the future of it? And I mean, obviously, it has part of the conversation. Once we if we we're getting off fossil fuels, right. there seems to be a continuing. We go out west. There's these wind farms all over out yep. west. But wind and solar, and solar just just is it not hasn't caught on yet? What's the story? Well, if you look if you look at the economics of it, the amount of basically corporate welfare that the fossil fuel industry has had for the last since its inception for the last hundred years, the the combination of tax breaks and other tax incentives that the fossil fuel industry, which is one of the wealthiest industries in America, still gets corporate welfare. If we would give the same kind of of uh, basically government support to the solar industry, the solar industry would also take off well. In the states where they did have tax breaks, whenever there were tax breaks, that were somewhat similar to the fossil fuel industry, you can see the solar industry take off. But in Philadelphia right now, one of the more exciting political projects is being done by a group of Quakers called the Earth Quaker Action Team, and they are working with uh, folks in North Philadelphia to create um, a whole uh, neighborhood solar project to use the rooftops of houses in North Philadelphia to be solar generators, and they are uh, they're working they're having putting pressure on Pico. They've been doing this for several months now for Pico to buy solar energy, electric electricity right. from the North Philadelphia neighborhood and for Pico to make an investment to make that happen. So Pico is resisting, and I believe they have given Pico to May 10th or something to respond, and then they're going to escalate their actions against Pico. Equate was very successful in working uh, uh, in stopping the banks from uh, investing in mountaintop removal, uh, ran a very successful campaign. Campaign to make to get I guess PNC I think it was to stop them from investing in mountaintop removal. They won that fight and now they are working with Pico to get Pico to invest in uh, solar ener- solar energy in North Philadelphia neighborhoods to provide jobs to uh, local people and to source energy locally. We have about two minutes left in this segment. Um, what's the best advice you can give to uh, someone who? has a developing passion for this and wants to figure out how do I and, and ask themselves but it's so overwhelming I mean just the, the complex that you've that you've outlined it's so overwhelming what's the best piece of advice you can give somebody who wants to get involved 
but may say it's just too much. Well, there are enough organizations now that are t- taking small pieces of it that are manageable. So if your passion is about the Delaware River, you can go join the Delaware River Keeper Network. If your passion is about fracking, you can talk to people at Food and Water Watch who are uh, looking at fracking. If your issue is global warming writ large, you can join 350.org, which has a very active Philadelphia chapter. So you have to discover your piece of passion because what allows us to do this work in an ongoing way is when we tap into what's in our own hearts and souls. So it's for you to think about what is the piece that's important to you? What is the way that you're going to leave, you're going to be proud of the legacy that you you leave for the next generation and then work with the organization that's promoting what is important to you? The website, Green Justice Philly, one word, greenjusticephilly.org. We've been speaking with Mordechai Liebling, rabbi and director of the Social Justice Organizing Program at the Reconstructionist Rabbinic College here in suburban Philadelphia. Mordechai, thank you very much. Lots of information, lots to do. My pleasure. And um, we'll talk soon. Thank you very much, Mordechai. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Uh, a reminder of one of our good friends of the show, the Hecht Investment Group of Johnny Montgomery Scott, which provides concierge financial consulting and planning services. Uh, as we've been telling you, uh, Peter and his group use a formal investment process as their foundation, and clients receive a written plan and frequent communication, as well as a rapid response to all of your questions. And as we uh, all have experienced in this uh, very volatile environment, there are few needs greater than our own when it comes to personal financial planning. The Hecht Investment Group provides experience, guidance, and an efficient management process that is very, very important in today's environment. Additionally, Peter and his team can assist you in connecting to Janney's Investment Banking Department, which specializes in assisting middle market companies achieve their strategic goals. And during 2016, and we'll be talking about this in greater depth as they get closer, the Hecht Investment Group will be conducting workshops on such issues as um, computer security, social security, personal cyber security, medicine, and end-of-life issues. Please contact them at 856-291-5028 or call them toll free at 855-289-2168. That's 855-289-2168. You can speak with John Connors for more information. The Hecht Investment Group is also on Twitter, LinkedIn, and on Facebook. And Johnny Montgomery Scott is a member of the New York Stock Exchange, FINRA, and the SIPC. To take us to our second segment, uh, our musical bridge today, we've decided um, in an executive decision with our producers to return to a classic from the 70s. Um, so let's gear up a little classic Billy Joel. I hope.
Hi, welcome back to our second segment of uh, Boomer Generation Radio. Uh, we'll be back with our second guest, Michael Lyons, professional actor, motivational speaker, to talk about some very, very exciting stuff. But first, we're going to uh, hear again from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall resident Harry Hammond. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approaches to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org. Welcome back to our second segment here on Boomer Generation Radio, coming to you from the studios of WWDBAM 860 here in Philadelphia. And we're streaming live again on WWDBAM.com, and you can reach us at Boomer Generation Radio at gmail.com and the Boomer Generation Radio Facebook page. And a reminder that these shows are archived on uh, my website, uh, www.JewishSacredAging.com. You can listen to this show and a bunch of other back shows um, if you wish. We are very happy to welcome to the microphone Michael Lyons, a professional actor, motivational speaker, and um, Michael, thank you for the long drive here to uh, to Ballot Kinwood and to uh, Boomer Generation Radio. And I, the focus really is you are very representative of, of um, something that's taking place a lot in our generation, of people who... This, who, who have this calling, I think you used that in our conversation before the show, and move careers and move their person into something of a passion. So tell me your story. What, what you left, a, as I think you said, a very high-paying, successful job to follow a passion. Tell me that story. Well, first of all, good morning, Richard. It's great to be here on the show. I'd like to answer that, but take you back quite a bit, and that's 50 years ago, or almost 50 years ago. I worked at the old Valley Forge Music Fair. I remember well. Back, I, remember. I think a lot of the folks in this listening audience can remember. Saw a lot of great that. shows at the Valley Forge Music Fair. Well, back when I was a teenager, it was still a tent. Right, I remember the tent. And I, I worked on the stage crew, and that is where my dream to become an actor began. And that's what I was going to do as a living. But as destiny would have it, I ended up going into the business world. I got married right out of college, and off I was on a completely different route for my life. Fast forward about 25 years later, I was working in New York City at the time, and I remember talking to my wife about the fact that all three of my kids were going to be in college in five years, and I didn't have enough money saved up. So I resurrected this dormant acting career, and I ended up making some national television commercials, which in fact paid for all of my kids' college education. So the plan worked. Good for you. But it got me back involved in this this acting career that I had always wanted to be involved in, but I did it on the side while I had my regular business career. So fast forward to your question. Two years ago, I was working in Connecticut at this large exhibition trade show company that was based in the U.K. And I made a decision then to walk away from that because the pull of being an actor and by then becoming a motivational speaker was so strong that I felt I needed to do it. If, if not, then when would I do it, as I was 63 years old at the time? So a classic baby boomer story of someone reinventing themselves 
and taking a huge risk because I knew at the time that if I walked away from that company, no one was really going to hire me at 63 years old. So for the last nearly two years now, I've been out on my own as a professional actor, as a motivational speaker, doing a little consulting on the side, and it's been very, very good. But you have to have a certain degree of confidence, and you have to trust yourself, and you have to listen to those little voices that tell you you need to go off and do that. When you were walking through that trade show in Connecticut, was there a moment? Was there a, a, a an insight? Was there a flash of recognition inside your body that said, I'm done with this, or it was it, it builds just, up over time. Okay, and I think that it comes to a crescendo, and you finally, it's so strong and so loud that you finally have to reconcile it by making a decision. And I went to my wife, and I, uh, who I've been married to for 42 years, and I said, "Honey, this is a huge life decision, but this is what I'm feeling drawn to do." And she supported me 100. percent And I think that she's really the jet fuel to my engine. Mm -hmm. In other words, she's Mm -hmm. the one that has given me the confidence to go out and do this. And without her, I probably wouldn't have done that. So it it takes a lot of guts and it takes a lot of confidence. I have to ask you, in in the process of that, um, did you sense any change in your own body? I mean, did you you sense any like uh, nervous stomach or anxiety or difficulty sleeping as you move towards this aha moment? Interestingly enough, the exact opposite happened. Wow. Whereas the job that I was in, it was a high stress. My blood pressure was high. It was actually one of the reasons why I said to my wife, I'm no good to you dead. And if I keel over of a heart attack in two years, it's because of all the stress. I sleep like a baby now. My stress levels come all the way down. My blood pressure is down. I'm, I've lost 20-some pounds. I'm, I'm fit. I'm able. I'm out there doing things that I wasn't able to do before because I control my own time now. I'm able to get up every morning, and I'm passionate about the things that I want to do every day because I work for myself. Yeah. So uh, the acting part, I really have to tell people, I mean, uh, since I, I did see you, for those of you who follow House of Cards, and in the current season, which just started a couple of days ago, and if you go to episode two, I think, uh, you'll see Michael as uh, the John Boehner, um, beautifully done, by the way. Uh, and event, if we have time, well, we could probably spend another hour talking about that, that show. But let's go back to the, the, the challenge of our generation of baby boomers who may be listening to this and said, Boy, I wish I had the guts to do what this guy did. I really want, you know, I'm stuck in this. I, I, I'm killing myself in this job, but I have a family. I might have uh, an elderly parent that I'm taking care of. I got a college tuition I, I have to take care of. But boy, out there is this this goal and the dream. When you talk to people like this, when you when you speak to groups about this, how do you how do you talk to that 62 year old man or woman nowadays? Who comes up to you and say, I wish I had the guts to do what you did, but I just can't. Well, I think there's a great saying, and that is, follow your heart, but take your brain. And I'm not suggesting that anybody over a weekend make the decision to jump into a new career or a new change in their life on a Monday morning. What I did, and what I think most people can do, is if they're being pulled towards doing something else, and they're passionate about that, then you start doing that 
on the side every day and on the weekends. And you start building towards that day that you're going to make that decision to finally walk out. And that might be two years or three years down the road. So you put a stake in the ground and you work backwards some money. It might be that together a series of action steps. It might be you need to save some money. It might be that you need more education. You might have to do some more research. But they're all stepping stones towards that ultimate goal of making that move. And yes, everybody has their own life circumstances that in a sense are holding them back, whether it be family or elderly parents or any number of things. But it's easy for us, Richard, to make a lot of excuses on why we can't do something. And I suggest to people that Really, if you think of it from a, I can do it, and there are thousands and thousands of stories throughout history of people that overcame great odds or who did extraordinary things, and you think to yourself, well, but they're different, and they're unique, and they're special, but they're not. J.K. Rowling, who wrote Harry Potter, was on welfare. She had a failed marriage. She had a baby. She had no money, and she called herself the worst failure I ever knew. And yet she had this idea for Harry Potter, and she persevered, and she wrote that manuscript. And here's the thing, adding insult to injury, she took that manuscript to 25 publishing houses. How many of them do you think accepted her? Uh, none. Zero. I correctly. None. Yes. None. And yet that didn't hold her back. She kept at it, and she finally found a publishing house who took the first chapter home to his eight-year-old daughter. She devoured it and said, where's the second chapter? They're the ones that signed her. She's a billion-dollar woman now. But people will always constantly say, well, I can't, I can't, I can't. And that's because we're surrounded by naysayers and negative influencers who are telling us that we can't, as opposed to listening to yourself, which is what I think most people tend not to do. So the, the, one of the key things that you said is the idea of, of really developing a plan, of really not deciding, you know, going to bed on a Sunday night and getting up on a Monday morning and saying, well, I'm out of here. I'm just going to, you know, figure this out. But really having a plan and working that plan until it becomes possible. Embedded in that and in, in, in what you were just talking about is the concept of, of the fear factor. I just can't. I'm really afraid to roll the dice. I really want to. And I'm sure you've had people come up to you a thousand times in your talks and say, but I'm afraid. How, how do we overcome? And this fear factor really is exponentially not only just life changes, but is embedded in so many people. How do we deal with that fear factor? Well, again, I think the main thing from my perspective was you have to think of and visualize success and not failure. So a lot of the thinking that goes into risk is, well, what if I fail? So you get into this coulda, shoulda, woulda, Mm -hmm. and you're asking yourself at age 65, why didn't I do that? And I'll give you an example. Fifteen years ago, I wanted to write a television sitcom. And I had a full-time job at the time, but I thought of this idea, and I was very, very sure that I could sell the idea. And it was a television sitcom called Bon Voyage, and I had visualized that Bette Midler could star in it, and it was a great concept. So I dropped out for a year and a half. I quit my high-paying job. My wife was working at the time. But I gave it all I had for about a year and a half, and I went back and forth to Hollywood. I had meetings with Bette Midler's partner. I was very, very excited about this, but I wasn't able to do it. So guess what? A year and a half after that, I realized it wasn't going to work, and I went back and I started another company doing something else. So there's always the possibility that something's not going to work, but it doesn't mean that you shouldn't at least try it. Mm -hmm. 
And I use that example, and I use other examples that, that I have failed in in my life. I've, I've tried three or four other businesses that simply failed. But if you don't try and you don't give it a shot, you'll never know. Is that cliche right, that failure is the best teacher? It absolutely is. Right. We're speaking with Michael Lyons, professional actor, motivational speaker, uh, and we'll be back with Michael to explore some of this and also how to get in touch with him if you want to pursue him further right after this message from our friends at Kendall. Hi, this is Kendall staff member Sheila Sylvester. This portion of Boomer Generation Radio is brought to you by Kendall Outreach. Kendall Outreach serves the field of aging by raising public awareness of important health care issues of older adults. And it provides education and training in the development and implementation of comprehensive approaches to safe, individualized, long-term care practices. Kendall Outreach has been sharing Kendall's approach to quality care with consumers, advocates, providers, government agencies, and related organizations since 1989. To learn more, visit KendallOutreach.org. Welcome back to Boomer Generation Radio. Our second segment here with Michael Lyons, professional actor, motivational speaker, uh, baby boomer risk taker. Um, Michael, if somebody wants to pursue uh, bringing you in to speak to their group, um, how do they do that? Well, I have a website, which is www.michaeljlyons.com, and all of my video clips, my information, the topics that I speak on are all on there. I'm also a Frank Sinatra-style singer, so I do a oh. lot of gala awards, and I do emceeing and moderating and so forth, so, so I try to bring a lot of different skill sets to the party. Um, so thank you for uh, mentioning that. And um, we were talking before the show. Um, you, you mentioned that you're in the process of putting together a book on some of this stuff. What, yep. what, what is that and what it's about? The book is called Set Yourself Free, Daydream It, Believe It, Achieve It. I contend that we don't control what we dream about. You know, you hear in marketing all the time, well, that's the vacation home of their dreams. That's the yeah. He played in the Super Bowl. That was in his dreams. Actually, I contend that we don't control what we dream about, but what we do do, all of us, is we daydream. So when we're sitting in boring meetings. Or the expressway, or, stuck or in the traffic. Or the expressway, yeah. and, and our mind wanders off, it typically wanders off to these happy places where we daydream and think about things we'd rather be doing. And so I, I suggest to people that if you're constantly daydreaming about doing something else, why aren't you listening to that? Why aren't you following that? Why aren't you taking action steps towards that? And we talked before the break about the fact that at the end of the day, it just does boil down to taking action steps. And that's why I love Nike's marketing slogan. It's it's the most pure and best marketing just slogan ever. Just do it. Right. And I think if everybody could just remember that, that if you take simple action steps, we mentioned earlier that I've, I'm house of the house of cards right now. I was sitting on the couch two years ago watching House of Cards with my wife, and I realized that all these politicians look just like me and that I could – potentially be on the show. And I turned to my wife and I said, I'm going to get on that show. And she just said, yeah, right, whatever, sure. But the next day I began the process of finding out who does the casting for the show. Where do they shoot the show? Baltimore, it turns out. And you put into action all the steps. And eventually, after a lot of effort, I ended up getting an audition. I ended up getting the part. But you have to do something about it. You can't just think about it and expect things to happen. So the book, again, is, is going to be called what? Set Yourself Free, Daydream It, Believe It, Achieve It. And it's where in the process of creation? It's about halfway through. Okay. I'm hoping to finish it by June the 1st is my targeted deadline. 
And I break it down into chapters, and we talk about the very first chapter is the pursuit of happiness. You know, our forefathers here in Philadelphia, that's what it was all about. We have this right to pursue happiness. But the question I have for everybody is, are you really happy right now? Are you fulfilled, whether that be in your personal life or whether that be in your career? And if not, why? And then the other chapters go into the sphere factor that we've talked about. It goes into to the fact that we make up excuses on why we can't do things. So it follows a very, very logical format. And then the back of the book does have some very tangible takeaways and some action steps for people to follow in order to make that change. Now, when you go out and do uh, motivational speeches to groups, I imagine corporate entities and other, do you use this as the framework of these talks? I do. I actually have three or four different talks that I give. One of the talks that I just gave in London last week was called The Brand of You. And the thing that's interesting about your own personal brand is every one of us has a personal brand, whether we realize it or not. And just like corporate brands where we have to consistently polish and enhance our image, reputation, and brand, that's a responsibility that we shouldn't take lightly. And so a personal brand is a combination of how we dress, how we behave, what our attitude is, all of those things, plus our skill sets and how we differentiate ourselves. That does tie in ultimately with this whole daydream it, believe it, achieve it thing. So that if you are really interested in doing something in your life, you have to have a package that's valuable to people. And yet we have this unique advantage, Richard, because there's nobody else like you. There's nobody else like me. So if we can leverage the uniqueness right. of our own being and be able to go out there and differentiate ourselves and to, and to take all of those skill sets that we have, and be able to market ourselves to the world, then I think you enhance your chances of being successful. So you you made this switch when you were 63. You mentioned uh, J.K. Rowling and the Harry Potter stuff. Um, I would assume that your belief is that age is no barrier to change. It really isn't. You know, I feel like I'm 25. I still play soccer every Sunday for two hours. Oh, good for you. I'm, I'm nearly 65 years old. Uh, thank God, knock on wood, I'm still physically able to do that. Obviously, I'm not as good as I was 20 years ago. I have an occasional ache and pain here and there. But in my head, mm -hmm. I'm still 25 oh, yeah, years old. We, I, we all know, yes. Yeah. Right? <laughs> where we are in our head and where we are in my legs is two different legs, two different things. But I think that that mental attitude, Correct. if you can frame it that way, then you really have many, many more years as opposed to if you surrender and just say, well, I'm, I'm pretty old and I'm just going to go sit there and watch TV for the rest of my life. As opposed to being a very active boomer who's creating a true legacy with however much time you have left in your life, whether that's five years, 10 years, 25 years. In my mind, I'm just kind of starting out. I've got a whole new career now, and I really, truly feel like I am 25. There's so much. I say there, uh, you got a lot to live and a lot to give as baby boomers, and we should be out there touching as many lives as we can and inspiring people and motivating people and moving people to take action to help other people so that we do truly leave a legacy when we leave. And and how much of this, and in, in, in looking back, Michael, how much of this movement that you did, your personal journey, is when you peel away a lot of the psycho-spiritual layers motivated by the fact that I want to do something to leave a legacy that's meaningful to me, but also meaningful to my family, and in, and, and show them that anything is possible. 
exactly that, Richard. I think that when I leave the planet, and I've lived a very blessed and wonderful life so far, still have a lot to give, I want my family members, I want my friends, I want the people that I've interacted with throughout the course of my life, whether it be in my personal life or in my business career, to truly say when they're walking by the casket, this was a guy that touched me. He made a difference in my life. He helped me. He inspired me. He did some things that truly made a change in my life. I think that's what our legacy should be, is that did you really have an impact on other people's lives? And so that's what my challenge is as I live out the rest of my life, is to see how many of those people can I do good for and how can I spread the gospel, so to speak, of this kind of uh, of a lifestyle. To people who look at the, world, the glass as half empty, can something happen to them that they all of a sudden switch to making the view of the world as the glass half full? Or is this impossible? No, I don't think it's impossible. I think that it, it really is a state of mind. And I think there are, again, many, many stories of people who have made that switch. My father used to call me champion. He called me my golden son. I grew up that way. So naturally, my glass has always been half full because I had a very good mentor in my dad. I think we we, uh, we absolutely need to to have good mentors and role models, and that's what I would suggest, that people find those role models that will give them that opportunity to flip that switch. So, you know, speaking of that, one of the things that, that as I go around the country speaking on the, the spirituality of baby boomers and aging that, that I come across in trying to teach congregations is that this generation has such a wealth of life experience. Uh, I call it spiritual capital that in many cases goes untapped because the society is still pretty much of an ageist society. How do you, what I'm hearing you say also is make use of your own spiritual capital. Spend it. You know, don't hold it. Don't hold it back. Spend it and energize other people. And by doing so, you, you create your own legacy, but you pay it forward. Am I mistaken nope. on this? That's exactly what it is. I mentioned being a disciple. So you you have to spread this this gospel. You have to plant seeds. You have to keep it going. You do have to pay it forward. Right. I think we have an obligation and a responsibility to, to do that. Otherwise, you are wasting your life. You're wasting that spiritual capital. You're wasting all these gifts that God has given us to go out there and hopefully make a difference in a very, very positive way. People say to me all the time, well, why are you doing this motivational speaking thing? And I say to them simply that I've been on the planet for nearly 65 years now. I've learned a lot. I've made a lot of mistakes, but I've learned a lot that I would like to transfer that knowledge, and I'd like to pass that on, and I would like to inspire and help other people, perhaps so that they don't make some of the same mistakes that I've made, but more importantly, again, to find their passion and their purpose in life and to go out and pursue that. So, again, uh, to get in touch with you, Michael J. Lyons, uh, motivational speaker, uh, baby boomer who has made this shift in transition, what I call transitioning into passion, uh, one's life passion, um, they get in touch with you by how? Through my website, www.michaeljlyons.com. The, um, we have just about two minutes left, but there's, You've touched on this in a couple of ways. Um, the randomness of life, 
and when you speak on, in, in these motivational speeches to groups and organizations, how do we approach in a positive way taking the cards the cliche goes, the cards that life deals us, sometimes which are not the best, and turn that into another you know, cliche, the lemons into lemonade? Is there a key that you have? Is, is, there, a, is there a little magic bullet that you use? Well, again, I think every single person's life is completely different. We used a couple of examples today. But everybody has to look at themselves and their personal life situation and their circumstances. And some of those are very, very rough. And, and it appears that there's no way out. But absolutely there is. And, again, it goes back to many action steps that you take on a day-to-day basis to help yourself climb out of that hole and to go towards that goal. And if you can visualize success then I think that everyone has the opportunity to be successful. Uh, Last question. How important in that transition and how important in that journey of self-discovery are relationships, community, family, and support? Well, they're critically important. You can't be anything without other people. I call them the four P's. You have to have passion, purpose, people, and positioning. Positioning is position yourself for success. But all those P's are very, very important. Your family, that support, your friends, the community, everybody, that is, uh, you can't do it alone. So thank you, Michael J. Lyons, uh, motivational speaker, actor, um, transitioner, of exemplar of the baby boom of transition. So thank you very much. In about the 45 seconds we have left, here's the last political question. Since you now served in Congress with President Frank Underwood, would you vote for Frank Underwood? I would not. You would not? No. Well, see, I'm going to vote. <laughs> I would not because he's morally corrupt. And, oh, well. And because he's, he's <laughs> actually committed murder. So. <laughs> that's true. That's true. But that's spoiler alert. Yeah. Watch the show anyway. Yeah, that's right. Right? Uh, current season, episode two, Speaker of the House, right? Season four, episode Seven, two. Season recurring, right, right. Michael, thank you very much for being here on Boomer Generation Radio. I wish you much success, happiness, and joy. Thank you very much for sharing your wisdom with us. To all of you, we'll see you next week here on Boomer Generation Radio, Tuesday mornings, 10 a.m. Stay safe, everybody. Take care.